Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Right then. <laughs> oh, just uh, dropped the flap of my Isovox vocal booth on my back. Yes, my friends, I am the less than proud owner of an Isovox vocal booth. Um, they didn't uh, give me a freebie or pay for this, so I can give it both barrels. Sounds a bit dead. I know, like, it's just a little box you put on your head and speak into it, but, you know, it's a considerable amount of money. And I bought it because... The Instagram advert that advertised it to me uh, featured the singer-songwriter Seal, and he knows what he's talking about. Anyway, uh, yes, this is the Luke and Pete Show. Happy Monday, everybody. Uh, now, we've, we're having uh, what could only be described as uh, an enforced uh, week and a day-long break. So that basically means three shows uh, in which we're not actually going to be in a room together. So what we've done, what I've done, rather... Uh, is cobbled together some highlights from the first summer of the Luke and Pete show, back when it was just called uh, Luke and Pete's Summer, where we thought we'll do this for a summer, uh, and we've been doing it for two years now. So um, what are you going to do? Um, what I will do is start every show with um, a little email you won't have heard on the show, uh, one we haven't uh, piled through. Um, so there's a little bit of extra stuff. If you are a listener from the very beginning, and why on earth would you be still listening now, uh, there is a little bit of extra content that you won't have heard. So... Quick email, and it comes from... Who have we got here? I'm on my mobile, on my mobile phone because uh, printer. Uh, more in Birmingham. More in uh, Birmingham. Dear Luke and Pete, I've been a ramble listener since the early days. Uh, I basically spend all my time listening to uh, all of our podcasts. Thank you very much, more. Um, I thought about trying to claim the slot as show doctor, but all the really good stories have too much potential for ending up on the wrong side of the GMC. I presume that's the General Medical Council and not um, GM Motors' cheese subsidiary. Um, all that changed with Monday. Monday Show, episode 171. As you mentioned, the tradition of sky burials. This is something I have something of a macabre fascination with uh, since an early childhood run-in with the tradition of uh, excarnation as a method of body disposal. You rightly mentioned that in some Tibetan, Nepalese and Chinese Buddhist traditions, bodies are left to carrion birds as a last act of uh, generosity. It is, however, also practiced by the uh, Zoroastrian faith in Iran and the Indian subcontinent too. Uh, Zoroastrians, also known as the Parsis, follow a faith drawn from the teachings of the Zoroastrians 
Zoroaster, the Zarathustra, a uh, Iranian prophet from two millennia that uh, uh, two millennia BC, in fact, that uh, predates uh, most, if not all, uh, monotheistic uh, traditions. Being of Pakistani parents, I often visit Karachi uh, with my family as a child, and uh, this story probably harks back to the early nineties at some point in an early area called Kalapul, which is uh, Blackbridge uh, in translation. Uh, there was a guarded and secured off area where Parsis lived in a gated type community. Uh, one of my mum's childhood friends lived here and we were invited around for dinner when they were reunited by chance. We were escorted in and only allowed through with invitation of our hosts only because the enclave was a strictly Parsi only area. Uh, before dinner, I played cricket out on the street with similarly uh, young children, including the children of our hosts. I couldn't help but notice a cin- cylindrical building built fairly high up with a swarm of large birds eagerly circling and diving around it. It's about eight or nine here. Uh, make no mistake, there were huge numbers of birds circling it. It was definitely the centre of avian attention for miles around. Save for these trips to visit roots and family, my fledgling eyes had not wandered far beyond Blackpool, so the only birds I really knew of were seagulls. I asked my Parsi peers about them, uh, yet beyond telling me they were vultures and the structure was called the Dachma, uh, I couldn't get much more from them. I only yet mastered the subtleties of non-verbal communication, so I couldn't quite fathom why none of them were very forthcoming. So I did what any seven to nine-year-old would do, and I brought it up in front of the grown-ups over dinner. <laughs> my parents tried to placate me, but undeterred, I bullied on and on, or bulled on on rather until the father of the host family uh, answered with incredible grace as I can now see with retrospect uh, I can't remember the exact words he used but he explained that different people have different traditions and that the vultures were um, their way of disposing of bodies without corrupting the sacred earth via burial or sacred fire via cremation that's interesting isn't it who wants to go out like damaging the earth what a wonderful you know, a wonderful concept. Fantastic. Uh, the Dakmar, or uh, Tower of Silence, uh, was uh, specifically set up for this task. Bodies were arranged into concentric rings with men on the outside, followed by women, and then children closest to the centre. After they are picked to the bones, the skeletons are swept into a pick, pick, pit, pit at the centre where they are dissolved with the assistance of lime. Needless to say, the whole drive home, I was told to listen when told to shut up and chastised for nearly ruining a lovely evening with ungracious questions about the macabre. Um, I I vividly recall seeing uh, two flying vultures squabbling in the red sky as the sun set, my imagination running uh, through what tasty morsel they were arguing over. It uh, became one of those things I thought about now and then, usually at family gatherings where my mum would uh, exaggerate how much of a precocious little shit I was. Now I'm 31. I recently visited uh, Karachi for uh, the first time in several years to attend a family wedding. And during the course of one of the events, I started chatting to a couple of similar age. When it happened to come up that they were Parsi, my brain had made the immediate connection to one fact about their religion that I indelibly uh, that had indelibly etched upon my uh, psyche. Uh, I blurted out something like, oh, you guys leave dead bodies on the big towers for vultures before instantly wanting to be excarnated myself. Luckily, they did not take offence and laughed it off, assuring me that this tradition was often the starting point for questions and dialogue about their faith. However, they did make me aware that its future is uh, currently hanging in the balance, and this is why. Uh, The culture uh, population of the Indian subcontinent has uh, markedly dropped in the last 30 years or so, uh, from uh, 8 million, or rather, sorry, from 80 million in the 1980s to less than 10,000 today. The reason for this is Diklofenak. Diklofenak 
um, a common anti-inflammatory drug. It was introduced in the early uh, 90s and widely used in livestock, India and Pakistan, perhaps not being best known for stringent regulatory uh, oversight. Eating sequestered uh, amounts of uh, diclofenac or its metabolites in the lovers of dead animals. I think that must mean bodies, maybe. I think Maybe bodies. Maybe it is lovers of dead animals. Either way, you're going to get ill. Uh, it's unfortunately fatal to most birds and the vulture population dropped alarmingly quickly. It's killing all the birds! The, uh, link, to, uh, the link to uh, Diclofenac was not made until 2003 and it wasn't long after this that India, Pakistan, Iran, Nepal, Tibet, etc. banned it. An alternative gro- uh, drug, uh, Meloxicam, was developed to take its place. However, the damage was done. Predictions estimate a 90% population drop for vultures if diclofenac was present in 1%, just 1% of all dead livestock, and it was found in up to 10%. That is insane. Loving that. That's, in, that's fascinating. What an amazing way to get rid uh, of, and a beautiful way to get rid of uh, your bodies. And also, um, yeah, we fucked it. We fucked it with diclofenac. Fuck you, diclofenac. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, uh, Moore says, uh, keep the good work uh, across the podcast, podcast spectrum, and I hope you found my expansion on carrion-related funerals interesting at the least. As a hospital doctor, I see a lot more of the interface between life and death than most, and it's certainly more an organic and real side of traditions like this and the Viking burials you spoke of uh, than the dehumanised and uh, somewhat bureaucratic process of cold metal gurneys a couple of weeks in the fridge while the funeral directors found a slot in the crematorium. Twelve-page uh, uh, declarations filled out in block capitals uh, that uh, complicates the grieving process here. We should definitely open the conversation around death mob, but again, it's uh, not a good uh, dinner table topic yet. It's also interesting that even in death, we continue to fuck over the natural world world on a continuous basis. Uh, by the way, I reckon Pete would totally go for the Lenin-style mausoleum if he could get away with it. To be honest, more in Birmingham, uh, if I was held in state, uh, covered in some kind of lacquer, people would just spend their time remarking that I looked way better dead than I did alive. Uh, more, that was a fantastic email. Um, thank you for your time, everyone, who's listened to me reading it out uh, at um, nine o'clock in the morning when I'm very sleepy. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not the best time to read anything out, but I hope I got through it. And thank you more. And uh, thank you. Uh, let's get on with the show. This is uh, from one of the earlier episodes of the Luke and Pete show. And it turns out that most of this summer I had a cold. So apologies for that. Roll a clip. Gentlemen, this is... Democracy manifest. You know how I like properly bum Japan. I'm yeah. back and forth, like you won't believe. Well, uh, last time I came back, I brought uh, a book. I bought a book rather about um, Japanese ghosts. Okay, fascinating. And like the the, the Japanese idiosyncrasies, the, the craziness didn't just start this cent- century. It's been going on for centuries. It's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. The Japanese love ghosts. They're mm-hmm. obviously a spooky nation. They're obsessed with death. Are there any um, main differences in what you would call maybe a Japanese top ghost and the sort of ghost traditions we have in the West? Um, I think they're a little bit more creative. Okay. Uh, they're, they're, they're certainly a little, bit, a little bit more cartoony and a lot of um, Japanese kind of uh, manga and uh, anime and stuff like that are kind of based on these kind of stories. Right. So it's all very historical and it's all very there's a great tradition to storytelling in, in Japanese culture as right. there is obviously in, in ours as well but um, I think it's probably got something to do with the fact that there's a lot of like Shintoism in in, in, in their uh, lives and, and um, heaven is actually quite a glum and like horrible place to be in Shintoism right. it's, it's like Hades <laughs> it's really... what, what, what is the point of that? Uh, well what do you mean what is the point well, of... so why, why would you aspire to go there I mean 
Well, because well, well, heaven, heaven obviously oh, is right. a place you aspire to go to, so because and, and therefore it has to be good. There's just a lot of grieving. Yeah, I, I don't think no, I don't think there is an aspirational thing. I think it's just okay. kind of like a, when you die, you spend the afterlife protecting the people who are, who you know on on Earth. So oh, okay, I didn't know that. Okay, it's not, it's not right. Enough. So Japanese ghosts then? Yeah, Japanese ghosts. There's just a lot of really creative ghosts, mm-hmm. and they are they like are they sort of like Indian type gods. Well, there's many of them. Well, there's, there's, there's billions of them. There's absolutely billions of them. Right. It's like they're like Pokemon. That's probably okay. what it's based on, to be honest. But right. like, uh, they uh, spend their time just doing uh, naughty things or little jobs and stuff like that. But I've, I've sort of isolated two that are really, really fa- fascinating. Okay. Um, the Tenjo Name, right? It combines Tenjo ceiling and Name lick, right? Yeah, so I mean, this is exactly as I'd expect it to go. What do you with, mean with Japan? Because that's just my, yeah. pro- probably prejudice, but my idea of Japan is just that I've never been. I've never visited. I know you've been a number of times. I've never been. Mm. It is that it's crazy. Lots goes on that you, it doesn't necessarily have any logical explanation to, to Westerners. Mm. And that, to me, you've you've got a Japanese ghost stories book there. The first one you've brought to the table is one that translates literally to to sealing liquor. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what this man does. So basically, uh, it licks ceilings. Uh, it comes out of the darkness on cold winter nights and uh, just licks away any accumulated frost or dirt on the ceiling. <laughs> it's very specific, it isn't is it? It is very specific. Can they, and they just have, they're very specialised, they? they don't have sort of one... They've all got, yeah, they've all got little jobs. Okay. It's very strange, so... So it, it's almost like a patron saint type vibe, isn't it? What, the patron saint of licking ceilings? Well, there probably is one. There's a patron saint <laughs> of everything else. You know, there's patron saints for everything, isn't there? When you get, like, a bit of steam in your room, uh, maybe you're having a hot bath or whatever, and there's steam on the... Uh, on the ceiling uh, it's the saliva of the ceiling liquor. ceiling liquor and it's a very nice looking book I mean it's essentially just a compendium of listing, listing all of the books yeah, all of the ghosts sorry that, that are and, knocking about and some beautiful kind of like uh, 16th century drawings of said um, of said ghosts as well I, I definitely recommend it and uh, yeah it, it just licks away at the ceiling um, if you catch sight of the Tenjin army though while it's licking away at your ceiling yeah. you die Right. right. See, see, that's another thing yeah. I, I associate with this type of stuff. <laughs> if you see, it's like, I mean, obviously, admittedly, and I will comp- totally uh, sort of admit to this, it's all based on the film I've seen called The Ring. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, so, you know... You watch it, then you die. <laughs> well, they... Is that uh, the same with all the ghosts, or just this particular one? I think it's just, just Japanese literature just seems to be filled with... Uh, there's, there's a certain word that's not available in any other language, and it's literally uh, testing out your sword by killing a merchant. Right. And that's it. It's just a word that isn't used for any other part of, of life, just the act of killing a merchant on a lonely, um, dark path mm. uh, during the dead of night mm. with a sword. I feel like other nations, other languages... Could learn a lot. No, well, well, yes, but also other, nations, other languages do a much better line in these really specific meanings yeah. of words than, than English. Mm. Like, obviously, a classic example would be Schadenfreude, German, mm. the, the, you know, the, the, taking joy from someone else's mis- misfortune. Mm. It's not as specific as you've mentioned there, no. but we don't really have that, we don't, we're not really as adept at that in English, are we? Well, I, I think the, the, the foreigners, they sort of sit back and take things in, don't they? We're so mouthy and so kind of like, we're like, oh, we know what's going on, this this and that, this is our language, but the, but the other people go, well, let's find a word for that, but we yeah. just think we're too, we're too good for that. I think. Yeah, no, Certainly. absolutely. The whole point of the ceiling liquor is that if you're tucked away at bed at night and you hear something crawling along the ceiling, just keep your eyes shut tight, because the ceiling liquor made Get you. Turn his tongue on you. <laughs> I actually Googled the ceiling liquor, uh, the, um, what's his name, uh, Tenjin Army, and uh, the first comment on an article basically detailing um, the Tenjin Army, and having loads of pictures, uh, it said, uh, interesting article, do any of the legends say exactly how the Tenjin Army is able to reach the ceiling? 
<laughs> that's the way. That, that's the first that's question, the, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Did he climb up there? I'm on board <laughs> with a post-death apparition. Yeah. That's only li- reason for being about is licking the ceiling. Yeah. Let's talk logistics. <laughs> Let's talk logistics. Has he got a little cherry picker? A little yeah. gorsy cherry picker? In the middle of the night, if you hear a. <laughs> I mean, he could technically, since he's a ghost, just stick his head, his or her, I guess, yeah. uh, just stick his head through the roof. Yeah. He could stand on the roof or float on the roof, stick his head through, move his neck, you know, 180 yeah. degrees and lick away, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> second. This is taking a turn already. I thought second, it would take a turn, but well, it's taking a turn so quickly. Get ready for this one. I am ready. You have a magical ball in your butt and the capper want it. Right. Right. Basically, there's two <laughs> versions of this this little ghosty monster, this okay. demon. This uh, what's it called? Uh, the Kappa. Okay. All right. In modern stories, it's actually quite cute and quite harmless. You'll see it in cartoons quite a lot. Uh, but during the Edo uh, period, there were monsters who had a particularly vicious method of, of killing their victims. Uh, they. <laughs> It's said that human beings have something in their body called the uh, Shirakodama, right. which translates as small anus ball. Okay. The ball is nestled either immediately inside the anus or deeper inside the intestines. Either way, the kappa Wants it. have a preferred method of extraction. Right. They basically... <laughs> he spit, this, this kappa is spitting bricks for this thick ball up your bum. Oh, it really, it really wants it. So yeah. the kappa consider the sh- shirakodama to be a delicious delicacy, right. and they eat it as soon as it's removed. Uh, and, I mean, there's various kind of depictions of this shirakodama, but... Um, yeah, I mean, like, there's one that kind of extracts the Shurikodama and holds it far away from his face and clearly is disgusted by the item. Why he's pulled it out in the first place... Yeah. If he knew it was going to be like that, I mean... He's like a man who's bought a load of pickled eggs and we're like, oh, yeah, pickled yeah. eggs, this is disgusting. You, so, you feel like you want to say to the capper, is this your first one? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ah. See that cap over there? Get your hand off my penis! Figs. Figs. You're starting with figs, are you? Do you like figs, Luke? I don't mind them, yeah. I I can't think of a fruit I don't particularly like. Do you want a terrible um, Christian song about figs? Uh, Yeah. There was a fig tree in Bethany whose branches were all there. When the master looked for figs to eat, there weren't any And they say the devil has the best songs. <laughs> hey, I'll say it now. Don't mind it. 
<laughs> First of all, that. There was a fig tree in Bethany. I've never heard that song before. I haven't either, but what I would say... It almost say, sounds non-denominational. It does. It's sort of clappy. It's one of those ones where you wouldn't necessarily instantly know it's a, it's a Christian song. Yeah, until it, get, it mentions Jesus. Yeah, it's slips like, it in You've got to use your gift. Slips it in there. You've got, <laughs> got you singing along, slips it in there. Yeah. But, um... I went to Catholic school, I understand the reference. I went to Church of England. Ooh. Oh, that's a love fight. fight. Um, the, um, the, the thing about that is, I, I say this regularly, don't be scared of a pop melody. Right. There's too many artists out there, <laughs> recording artists out there, who try and go a bit weird because yeah. they're scared of the melody. You hear me, Tom York? It was a fig tree. Exactly. If you can write the melody, then write the melody. <laughs> and if you can't, stop obfuscating. <laughs> figs. Get figs in there. Get figs in there. They are... Nice, they're pleasant, they're yep. nice and soft. Like what you... I like about figs is they're effectively, um, they're a big ball of flowers. Right. The actual texture inside are just a lot of the fig tree flowers. Do, do you mind if I, if I just chip in here and say mm. that for those of those out there who've listened to our oeuvre over the years, mm. they are wondering, as I am, that this might be related to your constipation problems over no. the years. No, uh, what I would point out is there's more food, isn't it? Yeah. Are we going to get oh, the yeah. show? It's like a food special. It is. I'm going to name it that. <laughs> Episode <laughs> three, special. food special. Because um, um, figs apparently are very good at relieving con- constipation. Yeah. They're nature's way of doing that. Aren't no, they? it's. It, I mean, it's. It, they don't work. Okay, you know, right. I need. I need hardcore drugs. Okay. To make, get me moving. Don't we all? Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Figs. I've been reading a, about figs this week. It's basically a, fla- a, a series of flowers inside a case. Isn't yeah, it? like the kind of okay. filaments are kind of just flower heads okay. and. Um, turns out, if you, like, ate a f- the fig off a tree in yeah. the wild, yeah. you'd probably be eating a lot of wasps. What? What? I know. Because um, we're told all the time that wasps have no... They don't pollinate, they don't do anything interesting, they, yeah. they're just dickheads. There's a really good new scientist uh, book <coughs> given away... Oh, they're giving away free with a... With free a wasps. Partic- a particular new scientist issue, or it was one of those ones you can buy at Christmas from the, from the publishers of New Scientist, mm. called Does Anything Eat Wasps? Right. And it's very interesting about the, the role that wasps play. It's so interesting, I can't remember anything about <laughs> it, but I do remember that. They must have some kind of role. Well, you're about to tell us, aren't you? Well, in this case, they pollinate uh, figs, but... It's fascinating. Um, the fig wasps are very specific kinds of wasps. They're, they're, they're kind of all black. They, they don't look like our normal commoner garden wasps. They're not very colourful. Um, you know, like, at the bottom of a fig, it's got, like, a little hole, mm. like a little round hole. So that's how the, the, the wasps get in. Uh, and they only let in the exact sort of wasp it needs to pollinate. Huh. A very specific wasp. Um, and it's such a tight squeeze that wasps invariably lose their antenna, antennae, antennae, antennae? Yeah. Uh, and their wings as well when they go in. So they can't come out so again? They, so they, well, it's fundamentally, they, they can't go out of it. It's such a tight squeeze. Um, and what they do, they're all female, female fig wasps. They, they plant their eggs inside the flowers, up to 100 at a time. Um, and while they do that, she's also got a bit of pollen on her. Mm-hmm. I'll get into this why she's got a little pollen in a bit. But she's carrying some pollen and it pollinates some of the flowers, fertilising them. Um, and then the wasps just die inside the figs. The wasps, though, the, the little baby wasps, they grow up inside the flowers. The males grow up first, a few days first. Right. Um, they find the pods of their sisters and impregnate them before they've hatched. Huh. That's horrible, isn't it? That, I mean, where are you getting this from? <laughs> what? Figs, mate? This is some comic book you read. <laughs> So they impregnate their own sisters while they're still in their kind of birthing No, I, I got that bit, and I think... I, I want to say it again to really yeah, disgust I people. I don't want to hear it again. <laughs> what, and so then, what? to what end? I mean, the, when, at what point did the, did the I other... I don't know what f- end it goes <laughs> <laughs> No, but where do the wasps go? Right, so... 
before, so then the male wasps they bore escape holes through the walls of the fig for their sisters to escape, and then they die in the figs. The sisters escape, um, picking up pollen as they go, and then they go and pollinate uh, other figs, and the cycle begins again. Do you know roughly what percentage of figs this replies to? I do, well, a, a, a very certain uh, amount of figs. This is blowing my mind to bits. So, so if, 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 a, if a fig grower who was maybe produce, uh, providing to, um, to, to a supermarket or whatever, mm. do, they, do they know about this and so therefore they won't put those figs into the, into the deliveries? So, yeah, there's a, they do them on separate trees, so there's a male tree and a female tree. And right. I think they can only um, pollinate female trees. But what I would say is the wasps don't know any different. No. It's but not a wasp, wasp fault, is it? No, it's not. The, don't blame the wasps. No. But what I like about it is, like, the, the holes that the, that the, the male uh, young uh, wasps have made, they get out of, the, uh, get out of the, 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 the fig like that with the little holes, which is fascinating. Yeah. And, I, I, know, um, I knew, knew, knew nothing about this. And so um, it, the, how the seeds obviously get into the ground is just normal, you know, Birds and, and yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, and stuff yeah. eating it and, yeah. and pooing it out and stuff. But I mean, what the, the, the wild fig is just basically like a big wasp body bomb. <laughs> yeah, well, we talked about bat bombs like, yeah, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, ugh, a wasp, anything worse? Yeah, I'm, I mean, where the figs grow? What countries? I don't know. To yeah, be not Britain. I'm going to say Peru for a laugh. Nicaragua. Okay, that's a guess, isn't it? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a guess. Um, but, uh, that is that is. I mean, I don't really know how to take that. That's quite disturbing. But what I would say, uh, yeah. It's, but most um, figs that we eat, they are um, grown under like farms and stuff like that. So we don't have all that problem. Notice he said most. Most they're, exactly. They grow. They grow under farms. You don't know. All right, old McDonald. <laughs> You're obviously an expert. It's disgusting, though, isn't it? Yeah, awful. Really but awful. a big fig and you crunch down and you're like, oh. God. You wouldn't know, because the figs are quite, um, they're soft on the outside, they've mm. got a soft kind of membrane, but yeah. inside they're quite crunchy. In, yeah, and, and, Wasp um, bodies. In, speaking of wasp bodies, it genuinely happened to me about six or so, no, probably longer than that, maybe just over a year ago. I was in the bathroom of my flat trying to change, I've got little spotlights in the roof. Right. And you, you take this bit of metal sort of wire which keeps the light yeah, in place yeah, yeah. and you pop it out and the light comes down on a cord, obviously, on the cable and you pull it yeah. out and replace it. And one of them, I did it, pulled it down on a little stepladder, literally dusted by about 20 wasp oh, yeah, They're dead, disgusting. but they just, just landed There was this beautiful uh, video, and it was beautiful, um, of uh, a bloke who turned up, rocked up at somebody's house they were having problems with. The, they just saw a lot of bees outside, right. and they were like, "Oh, there's clearly a wasp, uh, a, 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 bee, a bee's nest somewhere." <laughs> Not the bees. Not the bees. The bees. Uh, and basically, this guy came around with a heat um, sensor, like a like a like a heat sensing camera, basically, and he found out where the hottest part of the um, the cavity wall was, the cavity ceiling was, and uh, he basically had to cut into uh, the ceiling, and he cuts it out in a perfect square. Yeah, and he sort of. Pulls down the, the basically the ceiling. It's just a flat ceiling in somebody's um, front room. I think it was a bungalow, and he pulls it out, and it's like he's pulling out the bottom of a, a, a hive, nest, a beehive, and all this honey starts dripping down because yeah. they've got this massive infestation. They've just made this kind of their own because you, you rarely see it's called an apiary, isn't it? Yeah, you, yeah. you rarely see one that's actually naturally formed. No, They're usually right, kind yeah. of made by made by humans and stuff. But he just sort of opens it, and all of this honey comes out, and the most amount of bees you've ever seen in your life. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So this guy had to kind of basically he's got this special hoover and he hoovers them all up and takes them elsewhere. I've um, that's Oof. cool. I've, uh, my father-in-law's got an apiary in his garden, 
and uh, I've been down there and um, and checked on the hive and stuff mm. with the suit on and mm. you use some smoke to use burn yeah, a bit, yeah. burn a bit of wood. make it sleepy or they, confused they, or something it, no it's it, it, almost like it just sedates them for some right. reason um, and it's fascinating to learn about how they I mean everyone knows this I suppose but it's fascinating to know the sort of hierarchy and it's actually a very complicated situation the, the mm. beehive I mean in the winter they, they do everything in their power to keep the queen alive because obviously yeah. you get, this is in New England where my father-in-law lives and, and it gets very cold in the winter and um, I think they actually sadly a lot of them died um, if not all of them last winter but normally they keep the queen when warm. a mystery man from Britain <laughs> yeah. and punched them <laughs> punched the nest they made good his escape <laughs> across the Atlantic with a big ball of no. Uh, he listens to this show, so I'm not. Uh, that, that, that was nothing to do with me. Uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, listen, I got for my man. I'm going to start like a like a mystery um, podcast, like serial, yeah. where we try and find out how all the bees died. Yeah. And it's definitely you. You haven't got the motivation to do that, Professor um, Plum in the Air Fury. <laughs> I would definitely be Professor Plum, by the way. <laughs> um, so, figs into Ben Carter, specifically wasp-laden uh, figs. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move on. Speaking of wasps who buzz, what about this for mine? Mm. A very special buzz. Mm. Um, I would like to nominate Buzz Aldrin's right. July 1969 expenses claim. Now, if you're not this aware of this... This is not food-related. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's, it, we're finally deviating yeah. from, from the unplanned okay, food fine. theme. So, believe it or not, and it is hard to believe, but trust me, believe this is true. Mm. At the end of July 1969, of course, um, the summer in which um, Apollo 11 successfully landed on the moon and, yep. and a man walked on the moon for the first time and, and, uh, and came back again successfully. Um, I love the way I said that, man walked on the moon. Like, we can all take credit for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he was required to submit a travel expenses claim. It called a travel voucher at the time. Yeah. And he submitted one for that trip of $33.31 um, for his trip. And he, and he actually published this on his Twitter page, which is a fantastic follow, mm. Buzz Aldrin. He's brilliant on Twitter. He's 87 and still going strong. He's doing all this stuff uh, all over the place. He, he published a, a photo of his expenses claim from that particular trip um, from Houston, Texas, uh, to, the, to the moon via Cape Kennedy, Florida, and then from the moon back to the Pacific Ocean, to Hawaii, and then back to Houston. It was approved on August the 26th, 1969, signed off. Um, I mean, there must be, incredible. Like, for every place you go, there must be like a code. Like the, 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 that, um, that part of the administrative process has to go through. So it's like, yeah. what, what code do I put next to Moon? Yeah, I know, right? Like it's, uh, he just, he, he, what number he, invoice do I put? If, if you look on it, I'll try and share it if I remember <laughs> on, on, on our Twitter uh, at Luke and Pete Show. Um, you, 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 it's, it's typed out on like a typewriter, yeah. as, you'd, as you'd expect. I mean, yeah. which is amazing thinking that they're actually gone to the moon and still using typewriters, <laughs> but that's obviously how it was. But um, I, I actually, and it reminded me that a number of years ago, I read a great book um, by a guy called Andrew Smith called Moon Dust mm. in Search of the Men Who Fell to Earth. And he goes and hunts, um, doesn't hunt them. Like he goes to, <laughs> <laughs> like he the goes, Nazi hunters. He goes, and finds, he goes and finds all the men who are still living who have walked on the moon mm. and, and tries to explain how deeply it affected their lives and all this other stuff. It's, it's a really fascinating. I recommend yeah. it. It's called Moon Dust. Um, and there's a great um, passage in it um, based on this, uh, which I'll read to you now. It says, We assume that Uncle Sam handsomely rewarded the single combat warriors who hung their asses far out over the line and did one of the most amazing things that any of us can imagine. But no, not at all. When these men went to the moon, they received the same per diem compensation as they would have for being away from the base in Bakersfield, $8 a day, <laughs> before various deductions like accommodation because the government was providing the bed in the spaceship. Fantastic. How about that, eh? Fantastic. I, yeah. I think I'm almost certain that um, because money was still um, 
uh, important to, to, to these guys. I'm fairly certain they um, signed a lot of, um, baseball kind of signed, cards. signed baseball cards, didn't That's they? That's right, yeah. And they hid them away um, in, in case they died mm-hmm. um, to, to, to sell them on and, and provide for their um, family and stuff because they couldn't get insurance, obviously, because right, you're going so, yeah. to the bloody moon. Well, listen, for this $8 a day per diem, mm. they, they rate essentially, um, it's $55 a day now in today's right. money um, to give you some perspective, which isn't massive. No. And they were paid, I think, roughly seventeen to $20,000 a year as a salary, which is equivalent to about one hundred to one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year now, mm. which is obviously a good a good salary. Yeah. But I mean, these guys are, are at the very forefront of technology, and they're amazing pilots, hugely well qualified. In some cases, scientifically as well, um, a fantastic uh, insight into into what it was like back in all those years ago. Um, apparently, as well, Buzz was and Buzz is a great guy. I mean, Did I, you ever only punished that guy. Well, this is it. I was about to say. <laughs> so there was a uh, for those who haven't uh, seen or heard about this, there was a, a, a conspiracy theorist guy who a moon truther. Yeah. Idiot who went around. He went around. <laughs> Such a um, little worm as well. I know. He was. He was a little worm, and he went around. Um, obviously, Neil Armstrong passed away. Now, I'm not sure about Michael Collins. I think he might have done as well. Who was the third guy? Mm. Um, and Buzz Aldrin. He tried to find them all these different various events. And when he was able to essentially doorstep them, mm. he had a Bible with him, and he made them swear on the Bible that um, that um, they, they they indeed walked on the moon, and that actually happened. Mm. And I think Neil Armstrong, who's a very reserved, sort of quiet guy, um, just didn't engage with him. I think Michael Collins was the same. He went straight up to Buzz Aldrin. It's a great video. He's got a, a T-shirt, trousers, and some braces. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he walks up to him, to him, Buzz Aldrin looks at him, punches him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, why did you lie? Why did you lie about <laughs> go on the moon? He just punches yeah, him in the face. But, um, <laughs> Buzz, um, Buzz was apparently at one point supposed to be the first man on the moon. Right. So um, he was a lunar module pilot. So um, the, the way it was going to work, because obviously this had never been done before, mm. it was it was going to be it was going to be uh, Buzz to do it. But Neil Armstrong, who was the mission commander and technically the senior officer, yeah. successfully lobbied for a change in the um, in the sort of um, the protocol yeah. of how things were going to work, because obviously it was very well planned. Um, and um, they, they discussed the practicalities of it, of how small the lunar module was as well, and worked out that it would be easier for Neil Armstrong. So he eventually did it. Um, it. So it made sense logistically for it. But Buzz apparently, although he's come out the other side now, seems like a great guy now, he was very, very very upset about it for a long time right. uh, Michael Collins who was left aboard the command module who for one at one moment um, or for that that 20 I think it was 21 hours ish they were on the moon for that period of time Michael Collins was officially the most isolated man in human history the, the loneliest man ever basically because oh, he was so, he was far, so far away, far away from, from everyone right yeah. okay yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, he, he commented saying that um, Buzz resented not being first more than he appreciated being second but Buzz <laughs> made up for it by being the first by man by punching both of them <laughs> <laughs> he, but no, yeah, on the moon could have could have happened. <laughs> but he uh, made up for it for being the first man to take a piss on the moon. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. of course they just went. They, yeah. they couldn't wait. No, exactly. And he was like, oh, these guys are taking a while. I'm doing that, I'm doing, yeah. a I'm doing that, yeah. That would have been a surprise. Fantastic. I mean, I presume they peed weightlessly before, but I mean, well, before the, they got there. There was talk that a lot of the, um, lot of the um, astronauts who went to the moon... Um, I mean, at that point, um, because I think, I think I, I don't know this for sure, but I think because it was pushed through so quickly, because it was a whole propaganda-type thing element yeah, to it yeah, as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of the stuff they didn't really prioritise. So I think, I think in a lot of the test... Um, because you know, obviously, a few of the missions they went round the moon and, and orbited it before they actually walked yeah. on it. A lot of those missions, a lot of the, some of the astronauts were refusing to use the toilet. They were remote, but essentially taking a modium for like three or four what, days. So didn't, right, yeah, because okay. it was such a traumatic thing to have to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the other things I found out while reading about this as well is these days for um, astronauts who spend a lot of time up in space, um, one of the biggest things that affects them is the skin on the soles of their feet. 
Oh, well, it, it, it softens. Because they're not it? being used. Right. So the skin on the soles of the feet can apparently essentially perish and become very, very painful because oh. you're not... Obviously, the skin is designed to be padded down, to be worn away, to be yeah. used over and over again. This is not happening. And if they spend extended amounts of time in weightlessness and up in sort of near-Earth orbit, yeah. um, it, can, it can affect I them I can't imagine badly. how the joints sort of deal with it's, sort of being bad, back on. Yeah. And I think the okay. muscles sort of tend to atrophy as well. But, I mean, listen, there'll be plenty of people out there who know a lot more about that science than we do mm. who can get in touch, but... Maybe um, someone's listening on the ISS, or yeah. whatever you call it now. So Buzz Aldrin, yeah. Buzz so I think you said Buzz Aldrin at, sh- at no, no. Show.com. Buzz Aldrin's July 1969 expenses claim. Truly one of the best artifacts in history. Gotta be, absolutely gotta be. <laughs> that's gotta that's, be that's my that's my thing. Well, wasn't that fun? Thank you very much for joining us this week on the Luke and Pete Shaw uh, Best of. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with more of this nonsense. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, do get in touch with the show because we will be back next week. Uh, and yeah, hello at LukeandPeteShow.com to do that. I'll See you soon. Bye. This was a Radio Stakano production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.